From the headquarters of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, this is Capital and Scott. I'm Laura Farrar. First, we want to apologize to our listeners. Because of COVID-19 outbreaks in the office, we were unexpectedly off air for a couple of weeks over the summer. But we are back today with a new episode focusing on the ivory-billed woodpecker. For those of you who aren't bird enthusiasts, you may not remember that back around 2004, news broke that there had been some possibly credible sightings of the ivory-billed woodpecker in the Arkansas Delta. There's long been debate over whether the bird, which is one of the largest woodpeckers in the world, is extinct or whether the supposedly highly secretive animal still lives in the patches of bottomland hardwood forest that stretch up and down the Mississippi River. Early in July, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service announced that it would take another six months to determine whether the ivory-billed woodpecker is indeed extinct. Fish and Wildlife said the public could come forward with new evidence to prove otherwise, and ivory-billed fanatics all over the South are working overtime to make sure the woodpecker doesn't only exist in history books. Retired University of Arkansas Little Rock professor and longtime bird watcher David Luneau joins me today to talk about the latest in the search for the mythical ivory build. Luneau has been heavily involved with the efforts to find the woodpecker for at least a decade. So David Luneau, welcome to the program. You've been interested in the ivory billed woodpecker for quite a while. Can we just start and talk about what exactly this woodpecker is? Uh, how is it different from other species, and why is there uh, so much interest in it? Well, the ivory billed woodpecker is one of the largest woodpeckers to ever live on the earth. The imperial woodpecker of Mexico is, is or was the largest, and I think was is appropriate with the imperial woodpecker as it is uh, almost certainly extinct at this point. So that leaves the ivory bill as one of the largest woodpeckers in the world, one of the two largest, uh, the largest to, to live in the United States. It's been endangered or scarce for a very long time. Uh, it was thought to be extinct in the 1920s, and some were found in Florida, and then thought to be extinct through the in the 1930s, and a population was found in Louisiana. That's the population that was studied carefully by James Tanner, and who did his PhD work for Cornell University there, and wrote the, the, the one book we have that, that analyzes and studies a group of ivory-billed woodpeckers. It was a very small group. Uh, and that's the extent of what we know about the habits and the uh, and the lifestyles of, of the ivory-billed woodpecker. Uh, it was thought to, gone, to have gone extinct again in the 40s, but it's been seen in every decade since the 1940s. It's been seen, it's been photographed, it's been audio recorded ever since then. And uh, I think for, for me, the intrigue of the ivory bill, when I first started birding back around 1980 or so, uh, looking at field guides, it would say, you know, possibly extinct, maybe a few remaining in Cuba. And when you're when you're birding, you know, you're looking to to see as many different kinds of birds as you can. When one says it's it's very rare or possibly extinct, that kind of raises it up a notch on your on your to do list or to see list. Uh, would be a a good one to see. And I always thought at some point. Well, maybe I'll get a chance to go to Cuba and see one someday when Cuba opens up or when I have the, 
the means to go to Cuba to, see, to look for ivory bills. Uh, it's not clear that any are still still there, by the way. And those birds are now thought to be a different species than the ivory bill. They call it the Cuban ivory bill. So it's a, it's a slightly different species, we think, from the American ivory bill. So historically, with this bird being listed as endangered or possibly extinct, what led to its decline, just basically the destruction of its habitat? There, there's a couple schools of thought on that, and that's probably the leading school of thought, the habitat destruction. It was possibly a bird or, or seemed to be a bird of the old-growth forests, and we cut virtually all of the old-growth forests. Uh, we certainly fragmented the habitat of, of old-growth forests. Also, they were, they were directly hunted and collected. I, I mentioned, you know, for, for a birder these days, we think of going out and seeing a bird, but 100 years ago, People had private collections. It was perfectly legal to have private collections of birds. And paradoxically, the more rare a bird became, the more valuable it became in a collection. And so as, they, as the ivory bill became more rare, more collectors wanted them, the value went up, and so more collectors were out collecting ivory bills. And so in, in some areas, they were, they were locally exterminated by du- direct hunting of the, of the bird. Oh, that's interesting. I did. I thought it was strictly the habitat issue. I did not realize they were also hunted as well. So for people who aren't necessarily birders and aren't familiar with the ivory-billed woodpecker, when we're talking about this bird, is it like the size of, you have your normal woodpecker that I'm not sure how many inches it might be, or if you think of like a robin or a crow or whatnot, like how, how big is this bird and what are some of its defining features? A crow is about the right size. It's it's approximately the size of a crow. Many many people, if you look for birds and large woodpeckers, you said the regular woodpecker. Well, there there's several. I think seven different species of woodpeckers in Arkansas. The red-bellied and the downy woodpecker are smaller ones that you're likely to see in your backyard on your feeder. You may also see the pileated woodpecker or pileated woodpecker. I think either pronunciation is okay. Uh, it's a very large crested woodpecker, and that's the one woodpecker that you can mistake for the ivory bill. The ivory bill is about 10 to 20 percent larger than the pileated, but it looks similar. It's got a, it's got a large crest, large bill, and the ivory bill is bigger in length, weight, foot size, bill size. It's it's bigger it's bigger all around, and it's got a similar color pattern. And there's a white and black issue where the white is on the bird and where on the wings and so forth and that's where the confusion comes in um, a lot of reports I've been given and pictures I've been sent are really nice pictures and nice reports of pileated woodpeckers because they're 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 somewhat easily confused with an ivory bill if you if you're not well trained in looking for them so the ivory bill woodpecker is known to have a habitat predominantly, I guess, in the south, southeast. And the reason why it became important in Arkansas, so to speak, again, was that there seemed to be a pretty legitimate spotting of it back around 2004. And that excited everyone in the birding industry. You got Cornell University involved. And as far as I understand, they're pretty much leaders in the in the country when it comes to ornithology. And then since then, I haven't followed it closely. I was very familiar with it then. I wrote a story, actually. So this is kind of a, a personal issue for me, or subject for me, because I wrote a story for the New York Times about the ivory woodpecker and actually was sort of semi-in touch with you way back in 2004 and, and knew much of the community who was involved with looking for this. But it seems that it sort of died out. No one is really sure whether these videos or photographs were definitively this, this bird or not. So could you talk a little bit about what happened then and then 
over the past 20 or so years, what's been happening with what we know about its possible existence, at least in the Arkansas Delta area. Okay. Let me back up just a couple years before that, because in 1999, David Cullivan was turkey hunting in the Pearl River Wildlife Management Area in Louisiana and described seeing a pair of ivory bills. He was in full camo sitting against a tree early in the morning turkey hunting, and two ivory bills came and landed on a tree not very far at all from him. He got good looks at them, described them later to Van Remsen at LSU, which you mentioned Cornell. Cornell and LSU are probably the two top ornithology schools in the country. They kept it secret for a while. I found out about it in early 2000 and went down there with my brother to, to look for the ivory bills down there. And then Zeiss Optics sponsored a search down there in 2002 that I was part of. And I think that David Cullivan sighting and the ensuing searches in the Pearl River is probably what raised the awareness in the birding community that ivory bills may still really be around and they may still be around in the southeast U.S., um, there are plenty of other sightings in other places here and there, but I think that one kind of raised, raised the whole level of it. I headed up a search in the White River Refuge in 2003 in Arkansas because after this Zeiss search in the Pearl River, I got calls and emails from people all over wanting to say, if you ever go searching again, I want, I want to go, let's go. So I, I gathered up uh, seven people or so and went down to the White River Refuge and searched down there. Didn't see anything, but it was the very next year, 2004, when Gene Sparling was kayaking down Biota View in the Cache River bottoms of eastern Arkansas and spotted what he thought can't be because he said it, it looked like a pileated woodpecker, but the black and white were reversed. And he, he posted this on a canoe club website, and he, he said, I, I don't have the conviction to say what I think it is. A lady in his uh, canoe club said, you need to, you need to man up and, and, and spread the word on this and talk to some people. So he talked to a lady named Mary Scott from California who had been, she'd actually been down in the White River also looking, and she put him in touch with uh, Tim Gallagher at Cornell. And Tim and his friend Bobby Harrison came down, and Gene took them out there, and, and on their second day out, they spotted an ivory bill. And that was in early 2004, February 2004. I found out about it on March 1st of 2004. Word spread. It's a, it's a small world of ivory bill searchers, and word spreads fairly, fairly quickly through the, through the back channels. And I started searching in March, and we put together a, a, a kind of a quiet search team of people from Cornell, the Nature Conservancy, ultimately Arkansas Game and Fish, and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, a small group of people searching quietly, keeping it quiet, keeping it under wraps. But when you when you bring in people from out of state into an area, in, in a small area in Arkansas where it uh, mostly just has hunters and, and fishermen there, it's it's kind of hard to keep. They, they knew something was up. They weren't sure what was up. There were all kind of rumors floating around about why we were there. And then in April, it's about I had been searching probably for about six weeks when I got the video that I got in April of 2004. And that kicked off. Uh, we, we planned at that point in April, late April, the leaves are starting to get out, temperatures starting to get up, and it's not a good time to search for ivory bills. Fall, fall, winter, and spring are good times to search, especially when the leaves are off. You can see further. You can hear further. So we, we planned a big search for the coming fall of 2004 and five. Uh, based on sightings and the video I got in April. Sure. And for people who aren't familiar with this story that broke 
I guess it was in 2004. Was that one of the, the, I mean, it made national news. This was a big, right. we, a we, big story. We kept, it, we kept it quiet until April of 2005, okay. almost a year, year to the day after I got the video. And we were planning, we, we had big plans for a, a public announcement in May of 2005, and we'd kept it quiet for almost a year. And one day the word got out and it grew exponentially, emails were exchanged by the hundreds and thousands around the birding world, and, and we realized at that time we had to go forward. We, we had already been working on a paper to submit to science. Uh, we had been working on the announcement. We had been getting all our, our, our things together to, to tell the public what, what, what information we had. But then when it broke, we had to push everything up by about three weeks, and we did that. We made the announcement in April of, of 2005. So since then, the most recent news is that U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, as of July 2022, said that they're going to give it about another six months to try to figure out whether this bird is still around or extinct. And apparently there's going to be some type of public comment period where people can come forward with any new evidence. I think that what's so interesting, perhaps, is that We've had 20 years or so, uh, give or take, since the the 2004 spotting by Gene Sparling, who, full disclosure, is a very close family friend of of mine in uh, in Hot Springs. And then the Cornell people came down, and they also saw it. Yet people don't really know if anyone anyone has seen it either. I, I think the evidence is what's so perplexing to me. And can you talk a little bit about why no one is just saying, okay, for sure, this is it, it has to be here, and it's still not clear whether this bird is is around? Well, those are hard questions. And you said that nobody's saying it is here. There are a lot of people who are totally convinced, including myself, that the bird is out there. There's there's lots of evidence. I've I've got a, uh, I'll just plug Chris Haney's book, Woody's Last Laugh, he has done a, has a well-researched book on the ivory bill and which includes among many other things this the story of the arkansas search that we've talked about in 2004 through essentially 2007 uh, but in in one place he put together just a, a table of the evidence in the just the 2000s the first decade of the 2000s and there are 26 different sightings of different quality and different evidence and by different people in different places. We're talking North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, Louisiana, Arkansas, Tennessee, Illinois, by different people. Some were out searching for ivory bills, some weren't. Some were doing aerial surveys of waterfowl. Had nothing to do with looking for ivory bills and were shocked to see from their aerial surveys an an ivory bill in flight. So there's way more evidence than we had in 2004 and five. And the same Fish and Wildlife Service published in 2010 the species recovery plan which is required once once one was cited and with credible sightings which we had with had, uh, 15 sightings or 17 sightings by 15 different people during the 2004 and 5 search alone and the fish and wildlife deemed that credible evidence and there were there was some back and forth on the video evidence and fish and wildlife stated in in that uh, species recovery plan that they believed that they, they, they believed us, basically, that they that, that indeed was an ivory bill woodpecker and it warranted, under the Endangered Species Act, to come up with the species recovery plan. And that same Fish and Wildlife Service now, 12 years later, is now saying, oh, the last credible sighting was 1944. So they've, they've completely backpedaled on all the evidence that's between 1944 and 2022. 
and there's there's plenty of it, including many with photos. The uh, preprint uh, report that I sent to you from from the Bio RXIV has a lot of photos from trail cameras, uh, and those photos show clearly birds, large woodpeckers perched on the sides of trees with white shields on their back, which is unmistakably an ivory bill in my opinion. So I'm not sure what evidence the Fish and Wildlife Service is waiting for. They've had an open comment period already. They extended it six more months in light of all the comments they got. I don't know what they expect to find in the next six months that has not already been presented to them, but I guess we'll just wait and see. Right. I mean, whatever was posted related to this announcement says that they are seeking clear video or photographic evidence of the presence of the ivory-billed woodpecker that can be repeatedly interpreted by the same way by independent observers, such as definitive photographic evidence collected by a field observer. So it seems like people have this, but it's not enough. The wording there is very problematic, and, and that will probably wind, wind up in court the way they've got it written, because I think you said repeated by independent observers. Who, who are independent observers, and how many of them have to say yes? And does just one proclaim, self-proclaimed or otherwise proclaimed expert have to say no to make it no? I mean, you, you've really got—I mean, we had 17, I think it was, authors on our science paper in 2004, including the lead author, John Fitzpatrick, who was head of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology at the time. I mean, you, we, there's some pretty heavyweight scientists and birders on, on the side of ivory bills still exist, and all that was accepted in 2010 by the Fish and Wildlife Service. So I don't really understand what it means by multiple independent observers repeatedly. I mean, that, that wording is very ambiguous and very, uh, very subject to interpretation. I mean, obviously, I would have to talk to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to get their side of the story. And uh, you may not know this, and it may I'm not going to speculate but it, it, too much, but it does seem like there's been a little bit of a change that they thought it was was there. And now it's, it's kind of like, it seemed like they were more convinced in the past and said yes, but now they've backed away off of, of that, um, which seems to be a bit puzzling to me. And I don't know the politics behind endangered species or possibly extinct species and, and how that all works. But is, is there a sense that that is the case among the community of people who are desperately trying to, to find this bird still? I, I don't. I have not been closely involved with the politics with fish and wildlife, but I will tell you that the main person, his name's Chuck Hunter. He's a very good birder, lifelong birder, who's with Fish and Wildlife Service, and he was heavily involved in the 2010 uh, species recovery plan. Chuck Hunter, for, he's, still, he's still employed by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, but he's not on this project at all. He's, he has nothing to do with this anymore. New people have come in. The people that, I, that I've met only through phone, actually Zoom meetings, I don't know the I don't recall the lady's name, but she's not an ornithologist. I mean, there's way more endangered species of the 23 I think it was they were going to delist. Some small fraction of those were birds. Others were mussels and some invertebrates. Maybe I, I'm not I'm not sure what all the species were, but not all of them were birds. So it's it's not unexpected that you would have a, a biologist other than an ornithologist on this. But I, I know the, the people involved on this uh, delisting project are, are not ornithologists. Which you know that's that's neither here nor there. They have to look at the evidence, whether it's a whether it's a mussel or whether it's a bird, and the evidence is there, and there's a lot of it, uh, in, including and I'll, and I'll put a good word in for my friend Bobby Harrison, who was involved. He and Tim Gallagher had that second sighting that w- when they were out with Gene, he got a video in I think it was October of 2020, and I just happened a couple days ago to to see he he finally did an interview on his video. He, he 
tells you right up front, this is not a good video. Um, but he's, uh, I think he downplayed it a little bit because I thought it was a very good video. He, uh, he did an interview with uh, Birdwatcher's Digest, and there's a PowerPoint out there I had a link to, and I watched it the other day. It's about almost an hour long, but he goes through in great detail the, the details of this video he got, and it's, he's got about nine seconds worth of, of, of a flyby. It's not a good quality video, but the, when you look at the field marks on the bird and the flashes of white and the black tips on the wings and all, it, it can't be anything else. We'll be right back with more Capital and Scott. Hi, this is Laura Farrar. The stories we dive into on Capital and Scott are just a fraction of the reporting the Democrat Gazette brings to readers every day. If you'd like to support our commitment to bringing you the latest in Arkansas news, sports, and entertainment, consider subscribing to the Democrat Gazette. With your subscription, you'll get a digital edition of the newspaper every morning, along with the latest news and updates delivered to you on an iPad provided at no extra cost. For just $34 a month, you'll get the same award-winning journalism you've come to expect from the Democrat Gazette, plus exclusive photo galleries, videos, articles, and digital extras like this podcast, all in the palm of your hand. To sign up today, call 1-800-482-1121 or visit us online at arkansasonline.com forward slash subscribe. Welcome back to Capital and Scott. When you go out searching for this, uh, I don't know how recently you've done it, but when you did it in the past, it may seem obvious, but what exactly does that entail? So just for context, this bird is Arkansas Delta. It's in swampland, this bottom land, uh, I believe I'm saying that correctly, bottom land, hardwood forest filled with water certain times of the year, these beautiful cypress trees. But it's kind of a swamp. I mean, a beautiful swamp. What does it mean when you go search for this bird? How long do you do it? How do you try to spot it? What what happens? Okay. And it's technically, it's a river swamp. They call it a, a river swamp because it, it has a bio view, which, you know, it's slow, slow flowing. Sometimes a year it's flooded. Sometimes a year there's a small channel and, and the rest of it's not flooded. So it just depends on water levels. But during 2004 and five, a typical day for me where I was still teaching classes at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, but I didn't have early morning classes. I would get up about 3.30 or 4 in the morning, drive the hour and 10 minutes from my house with the canoe on top of my, my van get there, launch the canoe, try to get there at least 30 minutes before dawn. This is the morning bird course starts at dawn, birds get up, and, and ivory bills were from James Tanner's work were known to be a little later risers than most birds, but they, they if they were going to vocalize or do their double knock on the tree, that's their, their signal call, they would do that typically around dawn or, or you know, plus or minus 30 minutes or so. So I would go out in the woods during that time paddle down or actually i'd use the trolling motor a lot of times looking looking and listening mostly listening with the leaves off you want to do this in the in the winter uh, preferably or early spring and i also had remote cameras out we, we'd find scaling spots where bark had been peeled from trees or we would find large cavities where we thought maybe something's coming to roost we would put uh, time lapse and motion detection cameras on those so my my day would consist of going out, checking those cameras, swapping out batteries, swapping out memory cards, maybe repositioning the camera to another cavity or another scaling. And about 9.30 or 10 o'clock, packing everything back up, getting the canoe back on top of the van, driving home, taking a shower, going to work, teach class, 
come back home that evening and once a week we'd have a conference call and so I, I spent a, a good year of uh, probably that described probably three or four days of every week of, for me during that time period it was more, more searching than sleeping during that time I think what's so fascinating to me is that before we sat down today you and I had been talking a little bit about the latest that's going on that still to this day there are weekly zoom meetings with searchers birders people who are interested who are uh, in arkansas louisiana other places in in the region that there's just still this very passionate active community what is driving these these people to you know what's in it for them i'm I'm, I, i guess for people who aren't birders or haven't really been exposed to something like this like what keeps that going for for people to try to find it well before the fish and wildlife service put the ivory bill on their their potential d-list list there was not this weekly conference call the, the 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 action of them putting it on the list and trying to get it declared extinct produced a, a weekly conference call of interested people to try and fight this but before that there was still there were still organized groups of people out searching it's, 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 I don't know. I don't know how to describe. It's just a passionate thing amongst people that, that really want this bird to be out there, spend a lot of time and their own time and their own money searching for it, and have come up with some pretty good evidence. I mean, there's, there's trail cameras. You know, trail cameras in the last 20 years have really come a long way. Uh, we've gone from film to digital, basically, in, in, in 20 years. Uh, so you can get a lot more pictures and at a lot less expense. And cameras have come down from we paid seven, eight hundred dollars for cameras at one time, and you can get them for hundred fifty dollars now or less even. The ivory bill woodpecker seems to have, in my opinion, almost this mythical quality about it. Uh, almost, and it's kind of a, this created this like cult like interest around it. And there are books. You brought a, another book in today. I know there are other books about it. There's music songs that have been created. I don't know what else is out there. Not to mention the habitat, as I mentioned before, these these swamps with the cypress trees are really amazing. Uh, I've been out there. It's hard to access. I don't think if you're if you're not a hunter and you're not a birder, I, I don't think a lot of people have necessarily seen these bottomland forests. And they're also somewhat extinct. There used to be a huge corridor of this type of habitat all the way down near the Gulf of Mexico up to, I'm not sure how far north, maybe near near Chicago, perhaps. And I think, as we discussed before, that habitat fragmentation as farmland intruded, trees were cut down and whatnot has contributed to the fact that it's incredibly hard to find this bird now if it is still in existence. But to me, there's a risk potentially that if they do declare it extinct, what happens to the rest of this habitat? Is it protected right now because the bird was spotted? Does it lose some type of conservation status in the Arkansas Delta and elsewhere? I don't know if you know that. I just, as a matter of fact, had a conversation with Alan Mueller yesterday, who's one of Arkansas's better birders and also former Fish and Wildlife employee. In fact, he was one of the people that that went to the woods with us he, he was employed by he's retired now but he was employed by fish and wildlife during the 2004-5 search good guy good friend of mine and he was telling me that he thinks we do a very good job these days of, of managing the forest much better than we used to and that he didn't think that the declaration of extinction they're, they're not managing the forest right now for the ivory bill then that gets into also some of the politics you asked about earlier why they want to delist it and the answer, short answer to that for me is i don't know 
it's not going to save them any money. They're not spending any money on the ivory bill on searching for it or managing for it. They're managing the forest for the forest and for and maybe in certain areas for certain targeted species, uh, but not for the ivory bill. You mentioned fragmentation. One of one of the reasons I searched in the White River Refuge, I, I grew up in Arkansas and had never been to the southeast Arkansas down to the bottoms of the White River Refuge. But I looked at maps after the Louisiana search and and you can kind of follow the corridor up. It's up, you know, up the Mississippi River basically, and it, and and goes through the Tinsall National Wildlife Refuge in Louisiana, which was the Singer Track that James Tanner and the Cornell people studied in the 1930s. So you jump from the Pearl River, Bogachita, is another wildlife refuge there in Louisiana, Tinsall, and then jumps up to the White River. And that's why I chose the White River to go looking because it just was the, kind of the logical extension to where the bird might go if it was going up and down the, the Mississippi River corridor. And, and a lot of that land, so there, there is still some old growth forest there, but it doesn't take long for the forests in the, in the river bottoms to grow very large. And can, it can look like old growth, even though it may only be 50 or 60 or 70 years old. It, it just looked like a good place to search, and I had never been there. It was partly curiosity and partly uh, pinpointing on the map where a good place to look might be. So finally, I don't know how close U.S. Fish and Wildlife has come before to officially kind of closing the book on this on the ivory bill woodpecker and saying it's gone. This time, does it feel different, or is this the first time? And for you, and maybe you can speak somewhat for the broader community, if the book is closed, what does that mean for you all? I mean, it's been so many years that people have been looking for this bird, and it sounds like it could be put on the extinct list pretty soon. Yeah, I, first of all, I, I guess maybe I'm foolishly optimistic, but I'm definitely optimistic that they won't put it on the extinct list. Uh, they won't take it off the endangered species list. This is the first time I know of that there's been a move to take it off there, uh, or at least a serious move. I think back maybe in the 90s, there was some discussion of it, and Jerry Jackson got involved with that. He's been an ivory bill searcher for a long time as well and was tasked with going around collecting data on where ivory bills were. And he also wrote a book called In Search of the Ivory Bill Woodpecker, which in the I think it was published in the 90s. And that was kind of the best available information at the time about it. To me, the danger of declaring it extinct is probably going to have very little effect on the bird. It's going to have more effect on birders, I think, because if and, and several book authors had already excluded it from their book because they on, on their own essentially declared it extinct even though it was still on the endangered species list and they took it out of their field guides and so how does a young birder coming up see something and say well that doesn't look like a pileated it's, it's got to be what, what's what's wrong with that bird it's different i don't see it in my field guide so how are they supposed to ever find it and identify it if it's not in modern field guides so i, I to me that's a that's a, a more sad situation there especially in light of the fact that i'm convinced it's still out there uh, it's it's it seems silly to keep, take it out of field field guides and not leave it in there. Well, David Leno, thank you so much. And if you get back out there and go searching anytime soon, and you get some evidence, certainly let us know. We'd like to we'd like to see it and yeah. let other people know too. Yeah, and and searchers and evidence are, are a tricky business too. I always wondered what I would do if I if I got you know the 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 eight by ten glossy everybody keeps talking about. Um, and I know Bobby Harrison on his on his video he shows it in great detail on this, but he 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 won't say where it was, and I and I, I applaud him for that because I, I think the best thing to do at this point is is protect the habitat, which is what the Nature Conservancy does a good job of, and basically just leave the bird alone. 
I mean, that's it's it's made it this far without our help, except for what we do with forests. We we certainly aren't going to get involved in its breeding. I don't think, and you know, any kind of hands-on intervention. I don't I don't think any anybody's got that in the works. Thank you so much. Thank you. We will close today with a recording of the ivory-billed woodpecker taken in Louisiana in 1935 by Arthur Allen and Peter Paul Kellogg from the Cornell University's Lab of Ornithology. Special thanks to the Macaulay Library at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology for granting Capital and Scott permission to share with you, our listeners. We'll see you next time.